Welcome to Nicole's Recovery Crone podcast. I've wrangled two of my OA friends into joining me today to talk about men in OA. Um, my goal is I don't know what it's like to be a man in OA, so I also don't know what men in OA want to hear about. So <laughs> my goal is uh, to open it up to you two, so Tom and Alan, just, and so there's a couple things. Number one, and, and we can do this any way you want, which is your experience coming in um, as a man, um, or maybe even if you want to even tell a little bit of like, you know, did you have any resistance coming in? Um, you know, because the goal is to be able to have this podcast and then, and have it as a tool. So, you know, I'm going to post it and then hopefully, you know, you get someone who's like, you meet in the rooms or whatever, and, you know, they're kind of curious about the experience or whatever it is you think that a man coming into the rooms would need to hear. And that's my whole intention around this. So if you even have some ideas of what you'd want to say or anything like that, and, um, yeah, so Alan, um, why don't we go ahead and start with you because you've been in the rooms a lot longer. So, well, uh, just a quick background: my my um, history around uh, my own personal history around twelve step program is the first time I ever heard of it <clears throat> was my uncle in about nineteen eighty. Um, he was an alcoholic, and he gave me. He said, here, he, he tossed me the 12 and 12, I think, or the big book, I don't remember. And he said, this is what they want me to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know what that was until I ran into it <clears throat> some years later uh, when I was on the table of my massage therapist and she was working on my stomach area and it always hurt. And she goes, so she finally asked me, you know, why does your stomach hurt? And I said, well, I... Basic, I didn't know what binging meant. I said, well, I ate like three or four pounds of carrots last night. And she said, well, you ought to try this program. I'm in NA. You ought to try this program called Overeaters Anonymous. So I was in enough pain maybe three months after that to then find program. And the, to answer your question, I think I was desperate enough to go into a room full of, um, I was living in Atlanta, so in the 80s, so when I got in the program, there, there were no, there, especially in Atlanta, which is a very heavily gay populated area, gay men populated area. And at the time, there were not many straight men. Um, I didn't have a particular issue with it because I think I was in there because I, I, I got to program because I was desperate. And it was, um, when I got there, I was like, uh, it took me month, a, a few months to actually succumb. <laughs> but I, So when I got in the program, there weren't a lot of men in it. As I started seeing men come in, the thing that I noticed was um, we all didn't glom to each other. We tended to glom to our, our women buddies. Um, and for me, it was a distrust. Because mm. most of my, in my life, had, I distrusted men for various reasons. So most of my, most of my life... I was um, friends with either straight women um, who were taken, if you will, or um, lesbians. And um, 
to the point that the group that I was in, there was I was the only guy in it, and everybody else was gay. And they and they said, "Oh, don't worry, you're you're honorary." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what about you coming in? Let's just do the coming into the room part, and then we'll yeah. jump back and forth. Just okay, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, my uh, my entry was a little different, uh, at least. Um, so I'm married and. I have been overweight just just about all my, I mean, most of my life. And um, so after my wife and I had been married for a few years, I had tried during the marriage to lose weight in a variety of, variety of ways. But that was just, you know, I'd tried to lose weight in lots of different ways over, over the years. Um, and I had uh, some success, but also then gained some back and, um, so then at one point, uh, Mary started saying, well, you should go, what do you think about going to Overeaters Anonymous? And, um, she didn't quite say you should, she recommended it a few times and she had been in Overeaters Anonymous for 12 or 13 years when she was younger. Uh, and it helped her. And, um, my hurdle was how could you be addicted to food? I'm not an addict. I'm not going to be, an, I'm not going to call myself an addict. I'm not going to, you know, just that, nope, that's just off the table. Uh, so that went on for quite a while, maybe, I don't know, a year or two anyway. And then um, I really could see how I was damaging our relationship by uh, my eating behaviors and hiding and how often I really did lie in, or shade the truth, omit. You know, all those different ways that, that we lie about our food to cover up. And um, so then when I entered, uh, it, I think it really helped a friend of ours who is in Overeaters Anonymous um, said, hey, Tom, if you want to go to a meeting, I will meet you at this meeting. And I went, great, thank you very much. So that's what I did. And I went in and um, it was pretty welcoming, really, even though it was almost entirely women and me. I don't remember if there were any other men in that meeting that night. Oh, I think there was one, actually, um, who's been in most of the meetings that I've been to on that night. And uh, at any rate, that didn't bother me too much because I also always had lots of women friends, not many men friends. And my uh, experience with that was at one point in my life, I did lose, like I went from 280 pounds to 215 pounds. And women started noticing me, which was really scary. But men also started noticing me in a competitive way. Mm -hmm. um, and I had never really experienced that before, that there was a, a definite competitiveness kind of some sharp elbows and I call it rooster postures, you know, making yourself big and all that. Um, and that was, that was scary also. So I kind of have that bit of caution around men and I really don't want to talk about basketball, you know, and stuff. So um, yeah, my male friends have been uh, not many since leaving high school really. Mm -hmm. um, so at any rate, uh, I think once I arrived, 
it took a couple meetings to sort of get the to see what people were doing and to realize they were sharing their experiences and trying to express their emotions um, and I thought well oh I know all my emotions mm -hmm, yeah so but maybe I should try expressing some of them <laughs> so some years later I'm I've made acquaintance with a few of them yes <laughs> So again, now, um, and again, this is, you know, like I said, I mean, I want you guys to prompt me or, you know, to, you know, because yeah. again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a man coming into the rooms. And so I don't know what men need to hear. I'm struck by, um, you know, what I'm struck by is, is that, you know, coming in sort of <laughs> this distrust of men and yet the program requires the fellowship of me too. Um, and so, you know, having to, did you, in terms of connecting, did anyone encourage you to find other men? Did you go to a men's meeting? And what was the feeling that you had around that, Alan? There were, when I started program, there were no men's meetings. Okay. There just weren't any. There were 100-pounder meetings, there were anorexic meetings, there were all kinds of other flavors, but there were no men's meetings. So um, when I, I think when it switched for me, yeah. to, to uh, it went from going, and now I can tell you know, years later, I went from speaker meetings to a 12 and 12 meeting. Mm -hmm. So we did you know the 12 step and the 12 tradition per month. And yeah. I went through that twice with, with this group, because then I left the area, but um, that became basically genderless because it was all about the 12 and 12. In the speaker meetings, it was a little more yeah. difficult, I'd say, in, in terms, because it was, one was program, one was a lot of personality. Yeah. And the personalities kind of sloughed away. And I didn't think of this until we just started talking and kind of like, oh, you're all into this work about getting better and being a better human being. Um, and that's, so I never had the men's meeting thing. I do, I, there's a piece that I think I find more comfortable now, unless you want me to wait to say that. No, let's go uh, ahead, yeah. just let it <clears throat> I think it's easier for me to talk about um, uh, sexual issues with men yeah. than, I, than I do with women. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's not to say that I, I talk about it readily anyway. Right. And, um, but there's a, I think there's a certain thing that when you're a, a, a male or a female and God knows how many other genders you want to be, yeah. that um, you have a, there's something you want to share with somebody and you can't do it. And it's almost like desperation that you'll talk to a man to be able to speak about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I, it's similar for me too, Alan, to talk, actually talk about sexual things it's much better to talk to a man with whom I've developed trust. Um, it's easier. It's not, I shouldn't say better. It's just easier to get over the resistance at first. Um, Cause it, How there's something. How you guys get there? So yeah. let's go back to like, mm -hmm. okay, I totally agree with you. And I want to come back to this point, mm -hmm. but there you are, you're new in the meetings, you're surrounded by all these women and you're having your own experience of coming into the room, starting to hear what this is about, you know, what, what happened for you both when all of a sudden it was like, oh, you need to get a sponsor. Well, I do have a 
<laughs> it was odd. I, I, I can't quite describe my reaction, but maybe the second meeting I went to that of that same meeting, um, a woman approached me and, and uh, she said, you know, you should really find a sponsor, but it's advised that you find a sponsor of your own gender, which there weren't any, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd never met one at that point. And uh, <laughs> so that was, I thought, huh. And I also thought, I don't know, it just felt a little odd that she walked up to me seemingly not, you know, out of nowhere. I know now she was trying to encourage me to get more involved and, um, you know, it was fine, really. A little odd, but that that's about it. And I, I did finally, within a few weeks, I did meet um, a couple male sponsors and right. asked one to be my sponsor a few months later. So that did work out um, that way. Yeah. So wait, before we get to you, Alan, so just for, so our listeners know, but Alan, you came in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, whereas Tom, you just came in a few years ago. Right, about right. 2015, I think it was. 2015, okay, right, so five years ago. So also, you're, so the first meeting you go into, there is a man, and then no doubt you went to other meetings, and were there men in those meetings? Yes, so I went to I started right off the bat going to two meetings a week. Okay. And the other meeting, the meet, the first meeting I went to was relatively small. The second meeting that I went to was much bigger was and had Monday night. Monday night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think at the time there were four men attending regularly, uh, okay. including me. And so that was bigger. And a couple of them were sponsors. Okay, and then Alan, what about for you coming in? So basically what I'm getting to is is that, you know, you're going to meetings, Tom. There are other men in the room. Mm -hmm. So a member comes up and basically says what a member would say, which is, hey, it suggested you get a sponsor. Oh, and by the way, it is suggested, if you're straight, that you get, you know, um, mm -hmm. gender sponsor. So now let's pause and go back to <laughs> Alan's experience. Take the way again, back machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go back to the old timers machine. And so again, Alan, let's like, just go over like, and try to take your mind back there of like being new and someone suggesting the whole concept of sponsor. Did they even bring up gender or what was that like for you? I don't remember gender being brought up okay. um, in Atlanta. Yeah. When I, that's where I cut my when I first cut my teeth in it. And then I moved to Boston and then I remember hearing gender things. Okay. And um and that was only two years. So okay. it was still the eighties. Yeah. Um, um still Middle Earth. Yeah. Um I don't know. My first, I, I, my spot, all of my sponsors have been women in program. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I kind of am partners in recovery with some men, okay. which, which helps bridge the gap between what I am comfortable speaking to at this, I, honestly, at this point, it doesn't matter. I right. mean, but back then, um, it was natural for me to confide in a woman. Yeah. It just, it just was, um, uh, it wasn't until I, I got deeper into program that I started yeah. going like, and it wasn't until here 
yeah. Portland and most recently. And well, even now there's yeah. a distrust. But, but right. when I went in the program, I, was, I honestly was just desperate. If, right. if they said, talk to the green man over there, I would have done it. Right. The thing that I think that's really great is, okay, so we've got a couple of things, which is that I want to make sure our listeners hear, which is this program works <clears throat> no matter what gender your sponsor is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's the experience of Alan coming in in the 80s where there weren't any men, you know, and then so then Alan, you have the experience of what was it like when men started coming in the rooms, because I didn't come in the 80s, I came in in the 90s. And the first men to come into the room for me were bulimic gay men, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that was where it was like, wow you know, um, but that's just me as an observer. So I want to come back to um, the point of you getting a sponsor. So women were the only thing available for you. So it was like, okay, you know, so now you have, you know, your sponsor and you're working your program and then other men come into the room. So what was, I'm just kind of, we'll get into like working a whole regular OA program and that, that, but just around being like first the only man in the room and then men coming into the rooms. What was that like for you as our historian? <laughs> as a living artifact. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah. Um, Did he have a club? Did he have a saber tiger with him? No, he had a Tyrannosaurus burger. What do you think? This is OA. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I had the same experience you had, which is that there weren't, there, there were gay men, there were gay women, there were straight women, and there was me. And this... <laughs> Me and then and then and then in the, I was thinking of a really big meeting I used to go to in Boston and, and yeah. this is again two years in the program yeah and um, that literally was the case in three hundred people I was one of maybe five men wow that were that were straight yeah and um, did you guys it, avoid each other I mean what was that experience like was there like I think they had the same distrust I had yeah. I mean, so we weren't I, in AA, we yeah. were in OA, you know, yeah. and that's a, it, it traditionally is, is, uh, how do I say this nicely? It's, it's not a male thing. I mean, yeah. it's, oh, let me put it another way. It's not noticed by men very much. Right. right. I mean, that, that, what's really great about as the men came in yeah. is I didn't feel alone as, uh, as much because I began to hear men speak and they spoke differently but they spoke the same. I don't know right. how to, their, their point of view or how they spoke wasn't, yeah. was, was different. Yeah. It was almost like it's direct, but with a velvet glove and sometimes yeah. uh, shares, I'm talking about shares now, can be yeah. really secure this. Yeah. And um, I don't know, just, I, I think it, it made, engendered me to be more engaged on a deeper level. Wow, wow, that's really awesome. That's really yeah. And I, and that's just, again, that's just recent. And Tom's one of those people that, you know, we, we've learned how to share with each other about anything and it not be a big deal. Right. And, I, and, 
Yeah, go ahead. It's not so on the reverse of that, I'm a sponsor now of a, of a person that just got into the rooms and we've never met. It's a virtual virtual yes. sponsee. He's made enormous uh, leaps and bounds because of something I learned from a sponsor and learned in program was just listen. Right. And I think that's a piece of the sponsorship that I learned that I can now give to somebody. I notice he lets himself tell me stuff that's pretty... Like, hey, this happened last night. And I'm like, well, yeah. is it fun? <laughs> yeah. Did you have a good time? <laughs> I know, totally. I know. Like, did it taste good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you at least have some satiation here? <laughs> Was it on sale? Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he lives in Tacoma. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, no, I really, I just, um, I really find this very valuable um around the growing trust because again so since i'm the woman in the conversation i'll get to say it so i think that what you're what you're saying is is that you know it's okay for you as a man to be a drug addict and an alcoholic mm -hmm. um, but to have a, a a weight problem or you're just a total wuss you're just you've now been you know relegated to you know beta male and your whole masculinity is at question or is there, is it a shame? What I'm saying in that is, is that it's a shaming thing among men. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, yes, I think it is. Um, and this conversation has reminded me of something that, uh, that I learned. It's, you know how we learn a lot of things that we are not happy to have to learn, but we're glad we do anyway later. Uh, and this one was that I myself, um, and prejudiced against men in the rooms have been because what the hell's wrong with them? Right? I, I, <laughs> I don't. What on? I, I don't want to talk to that guy. You know, it's like oh, yeah, I know it's insane, but there it is. I mean, I've learned all the same cultural things that everybody else has, yeah. and uh, so I have this expectation that you know I'm screwed up, but they ought to be just fine what, right. but why are they doing it here so that took a bit of um, soul searching <laughs> basically yeah. Yeah. yeah so um how was that like in terms of again having to so so alan you've never had a male sponsor okay so that's great but going back to you tom you know what was it like for you to have a male sponsor and here you are in this program where it's like, oh, by the way, you have to share your insides, yeah. you know, with your sponsor. And you're coming in with this antitrust to men, and yet you've got this male sponsor. So can you just speak a little bit to that? Yes. Um, so my, my male sponsor, um, we developed a close rapport, even though we're 30 years apart in age um our, our actual um behaviors are somewhat different um nevertheless we came to be able i trusted him i came to trust him i thought his advice was good um he introduced me to lots of ideas that were, have been very helpful mm -hmm. over time and the i think the 
couple of things are that um, we became such pals. I didn't get pushed and mm. I apparently need pushing um, or at least to be trying to avoid being pushed, mm -hmm. to, <laughs> you know, in order to keep moving. Um, and that's, that's no fault of his. It's, you know, we got, we just established a kind of relationship in which that sort of slowed down mm -hmm. and, and stopped happening so much. Um, and by that time, by the time I did ask him to be my sponsor, really, I just really needed a sponsor. I knew mm -hmm. I needed a sponsor. I had the rule in my mind because that's one of those mm -hmm. things that I do. Oh, she said this, it's a rule, you know? Um, so when I realized he was a sponsor, had room to sponsor, I saw him regularly. So I thought, okay, this, this would be good because we'll get chances to talk. And that's, that's kind of what I went with. Um, yeah. And he did work a pretty different program from me and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think the, uh, the psychology of it, um, is similar across genders and ages mm -hmm. and things. Oh, I do remember one other thing that was, uh, I didn't realize it was going to be, uh, like that, but, um, I do tend to over intellectualize things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was kind of a thing for him too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was something that he didn't necessarily spot. Um, and again, it's okay. Yeah. You know, this is, this is Joel we're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. So Joel was probably about what, 30? I think he was 30 yeah. and I was 65, 62 yeah. or three okay. or somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Alan, I want to, so the guy that you were talking about on Tacoma, the guy that you're sponsoring now, how young yeah. do you think he is? He's 40. 40. Okay. So he's still younger. So uh -huh. I kind of want to um, speak to, and this may be way out there, but whatever, it's my podcast, you know, <laughs> you know which is, Okay, so Alan, I think you're like what, sixty? Yeah, sixty-two. Sixty-two. Okay, Tom, you're you're older. You're you're seventy. Sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. Sorry, honey. Mm -hmm. you That's know. okay. You uh, look better, better than you could have looked. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to do the math quickly there, and I messed up. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm fifty. So here's the thing that I'm sort of struck by, which is is that again, you know, I'm at the tail end, you know, but you guys definitely were sort of raised in the Iron John era you know what i mean and that you know that basically that the only predator that men have are other men you know what i mean and so certainly not you weren't raised with you know post-feminist movement with everyone saying hey you need to have some emotional intelligence right so and then yet so i could imagine that um you know, Tom, you working with Joel, who is 30, you know, he was, and I happen to know Joel, and he's very, even though he's definitely manly, he's also, he's got this very, you know, sort of soft, you know, yes, very, very approachable, let's just mm -hmm. say that. And as a younger man, he is raised with this sort of, you need to be emotionally intelligent. So, um, uh, just on on that topic of the two of you being raised in like you know Iron Man you know no flat affect 
keep your feelings, you know, don't express. And then you end up in the rooms where it's like, you know, you have to get in touch with your emotional eating habits and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then you've got this. So am I making sense kind of Absolutely. what I'm trying to Alan, are you wrapping your mind around what I'm trying to point to? Can you guys kind of speak to that? Sure. Um, I'll jump in. because yeah. I, I was thinking about things as you talked. Um, I always knew I was an emotional eater um, because I, you know, long, long time ago, I realized I'm eating not from hunger. Mm -hmm. um, but I did grow up um, believing that I had to be kind of kind of Superman. I mean, my dad could fix anything and, you know, didn't express much of his emotions and all that. Just kind of a classic thing. He's a World War II guy. Um, and I, I managed to get to adulthood believing that was what was required of me in order to be loved, in order to be, you know, be, uh, yeah, to attract love. And, um, I could never really live up to that. Um, I don't know that anybody can when you construct that kind of thing in your mind, but I'm still trying to pick that apart. And uh, the rooms have been a huge help because before long, when I was in the rooms, I realized that people were sharing real emotion. They were talking about what was upsetting them. They were, people were pretty real in those rooms, still are. And I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to try to do this. And uh, so, I mean, I think the first time I thought I was sharing my emotion, it was like a little baby step into the pool, looking back. Yeah, but I practiced. That's where I practiced. I couldn't do it when there was more uh, at stake than that. Like with my wife, that's, there's too much going on. But in the rooms, I could, I could take something that happened to me I could call up what happened and I could try to describe it. And even though that was scary, people accept it. You know, nobody went, what are you talking about? Or any, never anything like that. And so that really has helped me kind of soften that bit of armor that uh, I got put on me as I was growing up. And, uh, I think I was already not necessarily as heavily armored as some, but I have always had very high requirements myself. And so that's part of my armor is that I ought to be performing this and this and this and much, much better and always be perfect, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Can I also prompt a little bit here, Tom, that mm -hmm. I know that you also have manly man brothers. Yes, I do. So you were, so not only was it that you were, you know, the World War II dad, you know, the John Wayne dad, yeah. but also that, you know, and this was in, was this Arizona? Um, Utah. Yeah. Utah. But again, just the rugged manly man. Yes. We, yeah. we all grew up skiing. And so my older brother was the Jean-Claude Keely uh, <laughs> kind of, skier and oh, I can't remember the guy's name now an actor Steve McQueen yeah that was, yeah those exactly were, those were his models and then my little brother was a little more outlaw yeah kind of guy and uh, but yeah. both a little bit very athletic Mar Marlon Brando but still probably so yeah but <laughs> something the point like is is that it's you know it's still another male archetype of all male no emotion right. unless it's anger 
Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Okay, and let's let's bring it to Alan. So on this topic, Alan. Well, um, I wasn't brought up that way. Um, I'd my love to hear about it. My father was an immigrant, as my mother was, and uh, so it's more of an immigrant story. You work okay. your butt off, um, and you don't see your family much. That's the father, mm -hmm. um, and um, so what I I learned even though he wasn't the person that could talk about feelings, um, I, I kind of gravitated toward my mom. And uh, because what I discovered, again, this is looking back, but when I was a kid, I, I had emotional, um, a barometer. <laughs> you know, I wasn't thin-skinned, I wasn't stoic. I was, I, mean, I think that's why I got beat up a lot is because I had those buttons readily available. Mm. And I think what I learned along the way is to cover them a little bit, to be a little bit more, um, less vulnerable that way. Mm -hmm. How did you but, do that? Oh, eat, be angry, okay. <laughs> be sad. Those yeah. three things, that's it. Did you, at <laughs> any much. Day, did you just, so in terms of being, having this gender role model of what a man is supposed to be, mm -hmm. you know, what was your, did you try to work. adapt that work? Work, yeah. If you don't, if you're a man, works. I mean, it's not to say a woman doesn't work, but from but my I father's point of view, yeah. a man works. And yeah. um, and not only that is, a man works to provide. Right. <laughs> not just, and I bucked against that because I was single for a long time. Right. And so my way of my way of going fuck you was to turn into myself. Right. Right. Yeah. Sorry it, for the language there. I know this is no. a podcast and everything. Yeah. No. yeah, but this is my fucking podcast. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so I get to say whatever the fuck I want. Um, Got it. That's right. You know, so, you know, so here's what I'm hearing is, is that, and, and I, in terms of film and television, I see this as absolutely true. You grow up it's kind of like as a woman in that era, you grew up and you had, you know, two choices. You could either be a stay at home, to be a wife, you know what I mean? You could be a wife or you could be, you know, a high, a, a teacher or a, or a secretary or a nurse. Like, you know what I mean? It was kind of like, those were your choices, you know, very limited gender role models. And it sounds like what I'm hearing is from your two different families, and, and I think that the culture would um, support my assessment of this is that men, you could grow up into, you could be the rugged male. So you could be the Superman, you know, the rugged athlete, Steve McQueen kind of man, like I am going to physically defend my family and be a physical force in the world. Or you are going to be the businessman who provides extremely well for your family like and that's kind of it and both of those so they're both about being you know playing a game you know what i mean where you have to strategize you have to whatever and you have to be the best so one is this sort of this physicality piece and the other is this sort of chess businessman piece does that sound kind of for me it that sounds right in fact my brother took that mantle from my dad in my life and he is that way, and, I've, and um, it's just, again, recently that I've gone like, well, that's just him. Yeah. He's always been good with money, so no wonder he's rich. Right, right. <laughs> he's always yeah. been a strategic and 
strategically thinking person. And he ran into the thing he loves to do and he did well. Yeah. God bless them. Yeah, and the thing that I love right now is I'm talking to, you know, the two men who were raised in that family with those, you know, like, here's what you got to do, man. Mm -hmm. And you both are like, I can't do that. You know, I cannot, I cannot armor up the way that you want me to armor up. You know, I cannot make myself not be who I am. Even when I'm trying, I can't do it. Right. You know what I mean? And so, hence, turning to the food. That's yeah. right? Yes. My other escape was disappearing with a book somewhere. Yeah. And often food as well. But that, that uh, your description of the two choices for men, that was right on in my family. Definitely. Even my mom would try to um, not exactly enforce the those are the models she had for me. Right. But I knew I didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer, which were the two things she kept. Right. You know, don't you want to do this? Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. You know. (laughs) But again, those two, those two models are, here's how you're going to get a woman. Yes. Yes. You're either going to make her feel safe from the entire planet, or you're going to show her that you're going to be able to provide for her. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you know, take care of her. Basically, here are the two ways that you can take care of a woman. You know what I mean? That you will be able to market yourself to. You mean that's, that's the message you were given? That's the yeah. message, yes. That's the message. That I, yeah, that's what I, I needed. If those are the two ways that I could be loved. Well, that's the whole thing. Same thing right? with women, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of that era. It's like, right. it was all about, well, in order to get a man, mm-hmm. dot, 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 dot. You know what I mean? If you want to get a man, dot, 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 dot. So this is sort of what we're talking about is, you know, the reverse of like, oh, okay, if you want to get a woman, dot, 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 mm-hmm. dot, dot. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Does that, Alan, yes or no? Yeah, it, it makes the sense. cultural message. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's, it's real difficult to go back through X years of recovery to think the way I used to think. Right. Well, I'm actually thinking about just the, the, the soup in which you were, or the fishbowl that you were raised in. Got it. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the messages surrounding you mm-hmm. that, you know, were then, I could imagine you're like, well, I'm not measuring up to this. And I yeah. don't even know if I agree with this. You know what I mean? And I've got all these feelings and I'm not allowed to express them. <laughs> you know? right. So I have no outlet. Not only am I not being taught how to have feelings, I'm not being taught. I'm not, there's no model for me to express my feelings. If I do express my feelings, I'm being shamed in terms of my masculinity. Am I, is this sounding? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, my dad used to say, he said it in German, but why is he so sad all the time? And it doesn't, the word meant something different than sad, but um, and I can't say it, so. Yeah. But, and and, and um, I think that was the way I I knew how to deal with it because going coming into program, I knew like two things. Like I said before, I was either sad or angry. I didn't have anything, any words, right. or dissemination of what those feelings were. Okay. But going back to your original thing yeah. about women, men, and women, men coming into a women's thing, learning that because I think. I think in our culture, generally speaking, I don't know how to speak anymore right. with this gender stuff. So <laughs> let's just say gender. It's hard. 
Now I know what I was going to say. I, I, I found, oh, I know. I found that um, they, women spoke my language or they gave me context in order to speak it, whereas men kept me in the same place. Exactly. So mm -hmm. this is exactly where I want to get to, which is that on some level, so you guys are in this fishbowl of mass, let's just say masculine toxicity, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that you're, you're not, you're not winning at this game. And part of the re even, and part of you do doesn't even want to be playing this game, but yet at the same time, you're being shamed by not winning this game that you're not, you don't even want to necessarily play. And so, you know, you turn to food, you turn to, you know, whatever substance, you hit a bottom for whatever, however you get there, you come into the rooms, right? And now if we can sort of speak on, and I want to start with you, Alan, because you've already kind of started there around that, yes, we talk about food, and yes, whatever, but it, it's kind of like that slogan, it's all about the food and it's not about the food, you know? And you're, so let's talk about exactly what you just said, the learning to have feelings, learning to express your feelings. And did you have any, and how maybe that shifted or changed how you saw yourself as a man? I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to tie it back to, because a more specific to you experience, because, you know, that's a very general thing for us in OA is coming in and learning, you know what I mean? How to emotionally regulate without food. However, as a woman, I grow up in a fishbowl where apparently I'm supposed to be talking about my feelings all the goddamn time. So it's a different experience for me. You know what I mean? Not to mention it's like, I just recently read an, an article, you know, where they use the, you know, why do women go to the bathroom together, you know, and it's like, you know, this joke of like, why do girls do that? And it's like, um, one of the answers given was, it's the only time we can talk privately, you know what I mean? But again, girls are going to the bathroom to talk privately to talk about their feelings. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, so that's where I want to sort of separate out the general experience of coming into the rooms and getting tools down to your experience of that you were completely set up to not do that. So did you find it harder or what? I don't want to put ideas. Hard. What was your experience? Well, it's hard. It's hard. It, did I find it hard? Would I find what harder? I want to Would you? Yes. Okay. So for example, I happen to, you know, be a good bridge between men and women because yes, I'm a woman, but I was raised, I was a tomboy and I was raised by my dad um, who didn't know how to raise girls. And so he raised me like a son and I modeled myself after my dad. So even though it was, I had all this permission, whatever, I also was raised where it's like, you don't, you don't talk about your feelings mm -hmm. because I modeled myself after my dad. So, but Here's what I have that I don't necessarily know. I was learning to talk about my feelings surrounded by women who already talked about their feelings. Mm -hmm. You're learning to talk about your feelings surrounded by men who are wondering maybe what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know what I, mean? I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, I can speak my, my, my experience of being male at all yeah. or Alan at all 
until until I got out of uh, high school and was being beaten up because I was a fat kid with a crew cut. Right. That was my experience. <clears throat> and some of it was, um, I learned later because later in, in life, people don't beat you up as much as they try to do it other ways, <laughs> yeah. physically, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I do have some of that aggressive piece in me. I played hockey, I boxed, and I do martial art now. Right. That wasn't a model I had. That was something I picked up along the way. And it just so happens now there are a lot of women doing it. Right. And so there's kind of this genderless experience there. Right. In, in program, I found that I, le I learned, or as I went into, went into meetings, and, and this is early on, I learned that there were other emotions than anger and sadness. Okay. And I had them, but I didn't know, have words for it. Right. I had no way to disseminate what's, I don't know, what's between those two. Being placid, I don't know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> or serenity, all right? Yeah. Or, or something else, agitated rather than, rather than angry. These right. words I, got, I started learning, like, oh, agitated. That's different than angry. Right. Or having passion about something is different than being addicted. Right. Or the, all these words that were new to me, like, oh, my God, they're adjectives. Yeah. I mean, truly, that's, I learned how to describe what it was I was feeling. And I only learned that by glomming on to some women. Right. So basically what I'm hearing, Alan, is that you were developing some emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think I was emotionally intelligent before. I just was ignorant. Okay. So you is that did, fair? Yes. Yeah. So you, you intuitively had emotion, yes. but you did not know how to name it or articulate it. Absolutely. Know, and externalize it. And vocal. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and actually look at it. Yeah. Like so, I have this rather than it has me kind of experience, but, but more vocabulary. Just yeah. being able to, to stop, pause when agitated and go, Oh, that's what I'm feeling. I'm not right. feeling really this idea of running away from my wife and divorcing her isn't really a good idea, <laughs> but that's my first thing. <laughs> <laughs> and did you notice, or do you, and you might not have, you know, that in, in being able to articulate, so now there you are a straight man with emotional intelligence who can speak intelligently about your emotions did you did you what do they call it they call it um code switch and what i mean is is so when you're with women you talk emotionally intelligence when you were with men did you or did you go back to just not talking about feelings at all because you know with men you just don't do that i i was cautious about what men i shared that with okay there were some men you know it isn't it, in the last eight years, I've been doing a martial art that has taught me what an alpha male is, and I'm not it. Right, right. And I learned that, and, I, and I'm like, oh, I'm just a guy that, I mean, this is 30-something years later. Now right. I'm just a guy that wasn't an alpha male, and I thought I had to be. Right, exactly. I'm a, I, I am a leader, but I'm not alpha like these guys are. Yes, yes, exactly. They're, they're in the first category of like, you know, physical and physically, even the ones that are in program. Right. Very physically oriented. 
So this I, I would say AA, not OA. Yes, I would say. So I want to dilate on this for just a second, please, because basically this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where this model of masculinity, and there you are, a young boy growing up into a young man, and you're like, I don't fit that, and it's the only model out there that says that you are that that qualifies you for quote being a man, and you have this like, well, I don't fit that. So then there's the shame of like, you're not living up to it. You come into the rooms, you get some emotional intelligence. And in that way, maybe develop that there's more ways of being a man in the world than just the alpha male. Does that sound? Yeah, that made it, it made it okay to be whatever combination of feminine and masculine energy I was. Right, but the point is, is that it helped you break out of that very rigid paradigm of yeah. how you have to be in the world. Yeah. It, yes. And we're speaking it this way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. you wouldn't have gotten there if you hadn't maintained your abstinence and sobriety. No. And I wouldn't have gotten there if I dropped, I, I, this is for me, if yeah. I would have first started in AA. Okay, right. Yes. Because again, a there's no that doesn't have that quality to it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I you know, I, I actually know what you're talking about. So again, before we move on to Tom, so by being, you know, sober and abstinent, and working the steps and sort of doing the uncovering and discovering and finding out exactly who you are, without having to apologize for who you are or what kind of man you are in the world. So within the rooms, kind of like how Tom was saying that in the rooms, he practiced speaking his feelings. In the rooms, you got to experience, hey, this is the kind of man I am and I don't need to apologize for this. Does that sound? Yeah, that's that's out of out of recovery and out of, being abstinent, going to meetings, doing all the tools and working the steps. I mean, all of it is, is out of that. Um, and an enormous part of it is, you know, f for me, I want to bring it back the program, if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah, is, that's, that's is, great. Yeah. yeah, is being willing. And the other piece is it's a spiritual program with a physical barometer. Right. And uh, if I stay in that and know that, everything else falls into place. But once I start controlling my food, yeah, I've taken over and, yeah. um, and then all of that stuff comes right back. Right. I'm a worthless piece of blah, 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 because I don't do X, Y, Z. Right, right, <laughs> Do you right. feel that, Tom? You know what I'm talking about? No, I do. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. So before we move on to Tom, I just want to say, so to wrap up with that, so the rooms then, and then with you, Tom, let's transition mm -hmm. around this. This is something that I believe, which is that the rooms become almost like a practice pad or a sandbox where we get to discover who we are, you know, learn how to have our feelings, have relationships with people in the rooms of varying degrees, you know, whether it's just waving to someone that you see regularly or having a sponsor that you sort of develop, you know, some sort of intimacy with. Then through, you know, maintaining sobriety and abstinence, depending on your program, that you then learn, you uncover who you are, who you knew you were growing up, Alan, like you said, and 
but yet there was no model out there. And so there was nothing reflecting back to you that you're okay. In the rooms, you start having this reflection back to you that you're okay being Alan. And then you go out into the world, out into these other, into the workplace, into, you know, your, your private, you know, romantic life, into martial arts studios with a sense of security that, that you're okay being who you are. And it gives you a bit of a strength not to have to react to these messages of who you're supposed to be. Did that make sense? It's, um, uh, it's, it, it's a, when, when I'm, when I have a good day and I'm totally settled in myself and who I am and all that, all of that goes away. Right. And all of the, I know exactly what you're saying and that's, it's true. It's, it's, I'll use the martial art as an example is there are people in there I glom, I'm men who I'm very friendly with and we're friends outside of, of it. Right. But there's a whole much more of that, that men and women who are, have that quality of like, you know, one word, one word sentences and <laughs> I'm too focused to talk to you right now right. or, right. um, or to care that you're actually there or, <laughs> right. 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 so yeah, I do think it's a crucible. It, it really is a place where you get to, you don't, I don't think about it that way, but it is a place where you practice. Yeah. Tom, yeah. we've talked about a lot of stuff, so there's a lot mm -hmm. for you to jump in and reflect mm -hmm. on. So, yeah, I think, um, I was, I was quite lacking in emotional intelligence when I arrived in the rooms um, because I had suppressed lots of my emotions. Um, you talked about being shamed for different emotions. And I, if not shamed, I was embarrassed to be sentimental and to be any of those things and had learned not ever to cry and lots of other things like that. I didn't think about those from an objective point of view is just necessary to do. But um, in the rooms, when I started hearing people talk, express their emotions, and as I worked on expressing mine, I uh, began to rediscover parts of myself that I haven't brought out for exercise in a long time. And uh, I have a very brief story that um, I think illustrates this like what kind of person I turn out to be. I'd forgotten about entirely. So in, I think, eighth or ninth grade and boys gym class, okay, we're all going to learn wrestling. So Tom, you're the biggest kid in the class. Paul, you're the other, you know, and Paul was on the wrestling team. And so they matched me with Paul. And so we get onto the mat and whatever the time, and everybody's watching, of course, we're doing it a couple of people at a time. And they ding the bell, and uh, I, we grappled, and I put, I didn't know I was doing this, I put a leg behind him and kind of pushed, and he fell down, and I was on top of him, and I realized, oh, this is it. So I pinned him, and then I felt sorry, and I said, Paul, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, he was supposed to win, right? That's my assumption, and, um, and I... Yeah, I felt like I might have embarrassed him or what. I probably made him feel miserable when I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, but that, that is, that's the, 
my real emotional life, right? right. That, that got lost. Um, and so in the rooms, I have discovered it's okay to talk both sides. I mean, whatever's coming up and like nobody jumps on you about that, which is like no place else in life that I know of. There are probably other places, you know, well, there are other places, but I had developed different fears and different ways of um, guarding myself um, so that it, I couldn't see other places where I could express myself. But by being in the rooms, I'm seeing that there are places in life where yeah, I can express myself. People might not like it or they might like it. It doesn't matter because it's part of me. You know, it's okay for me to do that because it's part of me and I have the right. I have the right to feel what I feel and, and say it. So that is really revolutionary for me. And I, I'm really grateful to the rooms. It's working steps. Because I'm abstinent, I can have these feelings come up. Learning to sit with discomfort, um, not have to act on it. All of these things that I've learned are allowing me to, I feel like, present myself as a more whole human being, right? And not, I was, I think before um, I would have been seen as quite intellectual. And if I did talk about emotional things, it was kind of from an aesthetic point of view, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, getting into fears and uh, different things like that, nah, not so much. I wouldn't bring that up. That's too weak. Well, this has been amazing, and I um, I love it, and I cannot thank you two enough. Um, I'm hoping that I can get you back, and uh, yeah, and if there's anything that you know, you know, if you want to talk about certain steps or slogans or anything that you want to talk about, I would love to uh, do this. I think we're really great little combo here. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go ahead and thank you again and stop recording.